Few settings evoke a sense of peace like taking a trip to the mountains. Whether it be for a day with friends or a weekend getaway to escape the noise of city life, the mountains have always been a place that makes me feel at home. Learning more about these mountains I love is something I've always come to appreciate. That's one of the reasons why I joined this podcast, to learn more about different mountain regions and deliver it right to your ears. I'm Ethan Ward, and you're listening to the Canadian Mountain Podcast. In this episode, we'll be talking about the Canadian Mountain Assessment and how mountain assessments are important in understanding what we know, what we don't know, and what we still need to learn in relation to Canada's diverse mountain regions. But before we begin, I'd like to take a moment to appreciate the land that we work on and the people we work with. The Canadian Mountain Podcast acknowledges that our conversations engage with diverse knowledge holders who live and work on unceded and treated lands. We also recognize the historical and ongoing oppression that many Indigenous cultures, lands, and nations have continuously faced within Canada. This podcast actively seeks to decolonize, change, and inspire media platforms by including Indigenous ways of knowing. Canadian Mountain Assessments is the flagship project with the Canadian Mountain Network, which is led by Principal Investigator Dr. Graham McDowell, who is supported by a team of international and Canadian advisors that help steward the project as it moves forward. The assessment is the first of its kind in Canada, and the first in the world to put a primary focus on working and collaborating with Indigenous peoples. Together, the team seeks to learn what we know about mountains, what we don't know about mountains, and what we need to know in order to maintain them going forward. On this episode of the Canadian Mountain Podcast, I spoke with three individuals who make up part of the Canadian Mountain Assessment. Our first guest is the Principal Investigator of the Assessment, Dr. Graham McDowell. My name is Graham McDowell. I'm the Project Leader of the Canadian Mountain Assessment. I'm joining you today from Canmore, Alberta, which is on Treaty 7 territory. That being the traditional and ancestral territory of the Blackfoot Con- Confederacy, the Tutsina Nation, and the Stony Nakoda First Nation. And I want to start by acknowledging the many Indigenous peoples who have lived on and cared for these lands for generations, and really just say how privileged I feel to be able to live, work, and play in these incredible mountain areas uh, with, uh, with my family. Our second guest is Dr. Carolina Adler, who joined us from Zurich, Switzerland, and is one of the members of the International Advisory Committee on the Assessment. My name is Carolina Adler. I'm currently joining this conversation from uh, Zurich, where I live, um, also in Switzerland. By way of background, I am a geographer and environmental scientist. I've trained and worked uh, mostly in Australia and New Zealand, uh, Australia being the country in which I grew up. Our third and final guest is Dr. Philippus Wester, who joined us from Kathmandu, Nepal, and is another member of the International Advisory Committee, providing guidance on the project based on his extensive work with other mountain assessments, specifically the Hindu Kush assessments that examined the Himalayas mountain range. Yeah, I'm uh, Flip here, Flip Wester in uh, in Kathmandu, Nepal. The place I live is actually called Lalitpur, uh, originally the land of the Newa, the uh, Newar, the original inhabitants of, of Kathmandu Valley. 
I met up virtually with Graham, Carolina, and Philippus to discuss their roles in the Canadian Mountain Assessment, as well as their thoughts on the outcomes and results that will come from the assessment once completed. So, you know, as we know, this is all about the Canadian Mountain Assessment. Uh, so for for the for the people who are going to be listening to this, uh, Graham, can you introduce us to the Mountain Assessments, uh, the Canadian Mountain Assessment, and what exactly that is? Sure thing, Ethan. Thanks. So the CMA is geared towards providing a first-of-its-kind look at the state of knowledge of mountains in Canada. And really what we're aiming to do is answer three fundamental questions, namely, what do we know, not know, and need to know about Canada's diverse, but also rapidly changing mountain systems. And so to answer these questions, we are drawing on findings from a systematic review of the pertinent academic literature, but also insights from First Nations, Métis, uh, and Inuit knowledges of mountains. And so here, the Canadian Mountain Assessment is really inspired by some of the previous assessment of, uh, assessments of mountains that have been conducted, namely the Hindu Kush Himalaya Assessment and IPCC Mountains chapters. Uh, but we have a specific focus also on developing and mobilizing an inclusive knowledge co-creation methodology to support the inclusion of Indigenous peoples and, and knowledges in advancing our collective understanding of mountains in this country. And so what that means in practice is that the CMA is being envisioned, governed, and conducted by a diverse group of in, Indigenous and non-Indigenous individuals who are working together to enhance the relevance, integrity, and positive impact of this project. But I just, I, you know, I want to say at the outset, we do this work together, uh, but we do it imperfectly. We nevertheless do it with a shared aspiration of, of, of pushing the needle forward on finding ways of working respectfully across knowledge systems. And for all of us, this requires a really high degree of, of, of humility, of receptiveness to the deep learning involved in this process, including uh, unlearning, um, and openness to the um, to the idea of proceeding imperfectly as we're navigating some of the inherent complexities and sensitivities that we're encountering along this, this journey. So this is a three and a half year project. It's funded primarily by the Canadian Mountain Network, but all, all, we also receive funding from the Natural Sciences and Engineering Research Council of the Canadian government. And we're about two years into the project at this point in time. Awesome, thank you very much. So uh, Philippus and Carolina, you both sit on the International Advisory Committee for the Canadian Mountain Assessments. Uh, what does this mean for you? I would say, yeah, Ethan, I would say this, you know, being uh, being invited to the International Advisory Committee of the Canadian Mountain Assessment, uh, wow, I think two, something like two years back, two, two, two and a half years back, was a real honor. Uh, and I was, you know, first off, really thrilled um, to hear that you know there, there was a group of people in Canada wanting to do a, a specific Canadian mountain assessment because I just think that's you know it's so important that we have much better understanding of our mountain regions globally around the world and you know um, historically very few of these focused mountain assessments have taken place so there's some real knowledge gaps there including what Graham was was already mentioning the indigenous peoples, uh, indigenous knowledges, uh, you know, being brought to the table. So for me, it's just being, um, you know, coming from the Hindu Kush Himalaya, uh, you know, the Asian context, uh, and then to learn and, and and to sit on the advisory committee to you know to listen in on on the discussions in in Canada, in the Canadian Mountain Assessment has been really uh, enriching, I would say, and. And really generated, you know, ideas for where we could go next here in uh, 
in the Hindu Kush Himalaya region. And and for me, um, I guess one of the main things to to add to what's already been said um, for me personally, what this means for me is an opportunity to engage um, in a different context with a, a number of different other stakeholders for how the assessment uh, itself is taken up for be it for policy or for additional research or for outreach more generally um, within the Canadian context and to, and to learn about what priorities there are also um, and expectations that there are for, for assessment results such as these. Um, having been involved more at the global level, uh, it's interesting to then zoom in and hone in to how to see how these assessments um, uh, are taken up in a, in a more regional and even national context. So it's been a great opportunity to, to expand that knowledge and to learn um, and at the same time also exchange and contribute uh, with my colleagues uh, to support the assessment in Canada. So uh, <clears throat> Graham, it was in 2020 that the Canadian Mountain Assessment really began to unfold. As you said, it's been going for two years. So uh, what were your initial thoughts when you first started the project? You know, Ethan, I think I was equally excited uh, and daunted at that point in time. Uh, you know, I was really excited about this opportunity to be involved with the first formal national scale assessment of, of mountains in Canada. I was also really excited about the opportunities for some methodological development in the knowledge co-creation space. Um, and also uh, quite, quite excited about the interesting people that I, I know I was gonna get to, to know or to know better in the course of the project, uh, including folks like Carolina and Flip. And as a mountain researcher, I'd say I was also really excited about this idea that when the project was completed, we were going to have new and foundational insights into the state of, of mountains in Canada. Um, and, and so I, I found all of those facets really uh, exciting and interesting. But at the same time, I was incredibly daunted. You know, I was, I was daunted about how to build the necessary relationships and cultivate the kind of trust that was going to be necessary to do this work in the context of a global pandemic. You know, I started this project without access to any kind of um, office space, like like many of us. Led the assessment out of the front seat of my car for nine months, holding uh, Zoom calls with uh, with folks all over the country and internationally to try to understand more about the kind of networks we would need and who uh, who to engage with and to start building uh, relationships. And, and you know, frankly, that Zoom based model has really continued through to today. So that's been a, a hugely daunting aspect of of this project. I think I was also really daunted by the scope of the work ahead based on some past experience with, with the IPCC and having a sense of what that entailed. Um, but also, and in addition, the realization that we were really heavily focused on advancing, um, frankly, an as yet developed knowledge co-creation methodology. So, so really that kind of nexus of excitement and, and feeling daunted. But I think ultimately, I, I just felt really privileged to have the opportunity to, to be leading something like the Canadian Mountain Assessment. <clears throat> All right. Uh, thank you. So uh, we kind of did a, a brief uh, project intro or intro to the project. Uh, so now we'll kind of go, go into more of a general overview. So Graham, uh, you know, <laughs> like I said, uh, we're it's two years into the assessment now. Uh, can you tell uh, us more about uh, your activities to date and what you view as some of the project's uh, important accomplishments so far? You know, the first the first uh, priority with the project was figuring out how it would be governed, who would be involved and, and what that would look like. 
And ultimately what we've decided on is what we call a stewardship circle. And this is the idea of moving a bit away from this more hierarchical model towards a more uh, inclusive and and an equal um, uh, go uh, governance model and, and knowledge sharing model. Key elements of, of that uh, stewardship circle are the Canadian Advisory Committee and the International Advisory Committee. And both of those committees uh, include um, leading uh, Indigenous and non-Indigenous thinkers who are experienced in, in, in mountains, mountain assessments, but also things like knowledge co-creation activities. So that was really the first part of the project, figuring out how we would structure the governance and, and who would be involved. Um, we then moved into conducting some foundational analyses just so that we had a bit of a framework for how we would um, begin diving into something like a national scale assessment. And so we did, we did some geospatial work. Uh, we looked at defining Canada's mountain areas uh, spatially. One of the things that I found really interesting from that was the fact that the mountain areas of Canada will contain the whole of Switzerland 54 times. That was, Don, that was, that was really interesting to me and indicated the need for this kind of assessment. We have so many mountains in Canada. Um, we then looked at developing some typologies for what the major mountain regions look like within that kind of um, large mountain area, so a more regional kind of analysis. Uh, then looking at, you know, who lives in mountains, where do they live, how many people live there, what indigenous territories and linguistic regions are associated with mountains. A lot of analyses like this, just so we had a bit of a framework for approaching the work. Um, we then conducted a national scale systematic review of the peer reviewed literature that is either uh, explicitly or implicitly focused on mountains across all disciplines. And we came up with uh, about 2,800 articles. And those are now available to our authors to work with in their assessment activities. I think we then really shifted back into this important uh, conversation about the spirit and intent of the work. And here, trying to articulate carefully our conceptual and ethical foundations. And in terms of our conceptual uh, foundations, we really kind of landed on this idea of being inspired by what's called a multiple evidence-based approach. The idea here is that for any given subject, you can enhance your understanding of that, um, that subject by drawing on multiple ways of knowing, multiple knowledge systems, and, and cultivating conversations across those knowledge systems to really learn from and share knowledge across ways of knowing and to uh, derive insights that you might not find by working within um, more circumscribed uh, sets of evidence. A multiple evidence-based approach also provides an opportunity to think about braiding knowledges uh, and, and here, importantly, not integrating knowledges towards any kind of one true understanding of mountains or assimilating knowledges, but really, again, bringing them in, into conversation, braiding them in a complementary way. And this is something that I think informs how we do this work and, and is something we aspire to. At the same time, we recognize that, you know, a, a deep uh, knowledge braiding is something that requires an immense amount of time, an immense amount of trust. And uh, and we, we hope to uh, move in that direction, but we don't certainly make any claims about doing that exhaustively or, or entirely sufficiently, but um, that's something that has emerged as a goal out of our conceptual foundations. Uh, moving on from those foundations, we, uh, we worked to co-develop the, the Canadian Mountain Assessments structure, and we came up with a number of um, sections that we feel pretty excited about. So, and I'll just tell you quickly how the assessment is structured. So we start with an introduction, um, and then we have a, a section on mountain environments. And instead of just jumping into something like geology, we open that section with origin stories about mountains. So really drawing on those um, indigenous understandings of mountains alongside 
some of these um, uh, more scientific um, ways of thinking about mountain environments. So we have mountain environments, then we have mountains as homelands, a section called gifts of the mountains, moving on to a section that's focused on mountains under pressure before a final substantive section that is called desirable mountain futures. And then we wrap up with a concluding section. So that was a really interesting and fun process of kind of iteratively co-developing what the structure of the assessment would look like. We then moved on to identifying um, and inviting authors into the, the work. Um, all sections of the mountain assessment include both indigenous and non-indigenous authors. And I just feel incredibly humbled by the, the, the incredible people that, that have stepped up to, to be authors on the assessment. And I, I continue to learn so much from them um, in all of our engagements together. So we moved into that space of actually getting folks to the table to do the work and have more recently been focused um, substantively on uh, actually preparing those those sections. And so we are really focused on bringing these teams together, figuring out how they will engage effectively with the you know, content from the, the systematic review and the literature, but also um, indigenous knowledges of mountains, which are often underrepresented or um, sometimes misrepresented in that academic literature. And so we are coming up with other ways of engaging with those knowledges that I'll hopefully have a chance to speak to a bit later. And finally, more recently, we're, we're really kind of setting in motion some of these plans for the future. So key future events or um, finalizing some key project issues, things like publication and launch events as we sort of move down our timeline and, and those um, those pieces become more important. And again, if there's a chance, I'll speak to some of that a bit later. You touched on this uh, a bit over the, the past couple of questions, Graham, but uh, this <clears throat> this is one of the first assessments or this is the first assessment that is being done for Canada, as well as the first mountain assessment that includes indigenous peoples and perspectives in the actual structure and process of the assessment, which you, uh, you just went over, Graham. Uh, so this question is for all of you, but what would you say have been some of the things that this assessment has done to prioritize the inclusion of indigenous peoples and, and their perspectives in the actual process? Yeah, I'll come in on that, uh, Ethan. Um, just to say that, um, you know, being on the International Advisory Committee, uh, we, we were, you know, part right there at the beginning when, you know, as Graham was saying, you know, trying to figure out how to do this. Uh, but what I found very enriching and, and very, very powerful that, you know, at, at the very first meeting I joined, um, there, there were already elders in the room and indigenous peoples in the room who had a very clear idea about, about you know, um, if you like this 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 field of, of you know braiding knowledge and and you know moving forward together uh and i think to me you know what what strikes me you know kind of the tagline nothing about us without us you know so the rallying cry of many indigenous peoples around the world uh is that you know researchers you no longer get to just speak on behalf of us or for us we need to be part of that process and I think that's 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 really powerful, and, and, and I, I really commend uh, you know the Canadian Mountain Assessment and you know Graham and the whole team and everybody involved with that Canadian Mountain Network, uh, because I think the assessment you know center right from the start, just you know right 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 um, square and center is saying respectfully and really trying to figure out. Um, you know how how to bring these bodies of knowledge uh, together, not integrating, 
but having multiple perspectives uh, and, and then having the faith that that will lead to a deeper understanding. Because I think our, underst uh, our understanding potentially could be integrated. Uh, knowledge is, is more difficult. So I think um, some of the things the assessment have done, well, I think a lot of the things the Canadian Mountain Assessment has done is right from the get-go is say, we need to take this very seriously. We need to, you know, hear from other parts of the world. Uh, we need to really, you know, go, you know, uh, explore uh, how we can do this. Uh, and I think, uh, I, I, well, actually, I know for sure from the region I'm, I'm based in, you know, the Hindipush Himalaya, we, we actually have a thousand cultures, 1,000 cultures, 1,000 languages, 1,000, you know, peoples living in these, uh, this mountain region out of, you know, the 6,000 to 9,000 cultures total. Um, now, so you can imagine the diversity and the depth and the breadth and the history of knowledges contained in each language, which is so unique. You know, language is so unique. And, and if you've ever, you know, tried to learn three or four other languages, you'll, you, you quickly find out that conceptually how you think, how you feel, how you dream is different in, in different languages. Um, so we are, we are closely watching what the Canadian Mountain Assessment is coming up with, uh, very much in terms of process, but also in terms of content and what comes out of that, to take inspiration from that for, for the Hindu Push Himalaya. So I just say that it's been already been very uh, an enriching uh, experience. And, you know, I, I love the, the, the phrase, the gifts of the mountain. You know, um, instead of services, you know, it, it, and that already just gives you a, a kind of an insight in, you know, we, we uh, as humans, you know, we, we might just want to be really thankful. We're getting all this stuff for free, you know, and without it, our lives would be terrible. Um, so it's not a service, it's a gift. Uh, and that in itself, I think, is such a conceptually powerful statement that is already already coming out of the Canadian Mountain Assessment. And... You know, there's other thinking around nature's contributions to humanity or to humans. And again, it's contributions. And it's like, well, hang on, as if nature was created to contribute to humans. You know, we're part of nature, um, but there's something sacred going on here. And, and you know, to, to get deeper insight into that sacredness, I think, is, is what the CMA is trying. And, um, and, and it's, a, you know, it's, it's a best effort basis. And uh, we're really looking forward to see where that goes. Thanks for that, Flip, and that is an excellent response already to many of the um, uh, um, items and, and aspects that I would also uh, like to underscore and resonate very much with my own observations. And, and I think it comes down to the way in which this, uh, this assessment um, has um, given a, a very prominent platform for Indigenous peoples to engage and, and have a governance structure that gives them that empowerment to also guide uh, not just what content is addressed but but how and as far as the the, the way in which we also frame and conceptualize uh, mountains um, indeed as as uh, flip already mentioned this is about uh, shifting the mindset from receiving uh, to people being a part of the of the natural system itself um, and that is something that is important to um, have very well established and, and part of the structure of how the assessment is conducted. So this is something that um, this assessment is, is, has done incredibly well. 
and uh, we look forward to seeing how that translates also to, to future uh, efforts um, whereby Indigenous peoples continue to have that um, prominent say and, and ownership in that process as well. For me, interesting, it would be to see how the results of the assessment are taken up in other, say, political or policy arenas. I think that is a dialogue that's still yet to happen. And, and I would be very keen to see how these concepts translate to the more conventional ways in which we are dealing um, between the science and, and policy and those interfaces. So I, I, it, it's, it's a space to watch and I'm very hopeful that this will bring about new insights for how to uh, improve also the science policy interface going forward. Um, I just wanted to quickly say, first of all, thanks, Flip and Carolina, for those reflections. It's really interesting and um, helpful for me to hear your perspective on, on what this has looked like from 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 um, from your standpoint, um, I wanted to echo that point that Flip brought up about indigenous peoples being involved from the outset, and really the idea, you know, being that this is not an afterthought or this is not something we're trying to bring in later in the process. We we had indigenous elders involved from the very beginning, and I think that's been a really fundamental piece of how we've tried to um, engage with indigenous peoples and indigenous knowledges in a meaningful way in this process, and. We're also interested in this idea of, of cultivating ethical space. And part of that has been making room in our, our meetings, for example, for indigenous elders to open our meetings with opening words or thoughts or prayer to, to help to build that ethical space for the kinds of conversations that we're having about uh, doing, doing this work together. Uh, leaning here into this idea, you might say, of indigenous methodology or indigenous protocol around um, how this um, quote unquote should be done um, in, a, in a good way. So, um, so that's been, uh, those have been important aspects of, of the work. I, another piece that I wanted to flag is this um, idea in the Canadian Mountain Assessment that yes, we will have a text-based content, we will have a book, but we really want to have opportunities, ample opportunities for knowledges that are, are shared or gifted to the assessment to be um, represented in the most um, appropriate way possible. And what that means for us is that we want to have a, a, a lot of visual content in the assessment to, to start, but also things like embedded hyperlinks, where there might be um, some text introducing um, uh, knowledge is shared by an elder, for example. But the text representation of th that um, conversation is not going to be the appropriate the most appropriate way to share that that knowledge. And so we'll have embedded links to things like audio recordings of that conversation where, where oral histories, for example, can be accessed in a, in a rich and, and as close as true to form way as possible. And, and that's been something that's been um, uh, suggested to us and gifted to us by our indigenous um, advisors in particular as a way to, to work respectively with knowledge systems that are not always most appropriately represented in a text-based form. This question is for you, uh, Carolina. Uh, you've been actively involved with the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or IPCC, which is a, a body of the United Nations focused on assessing the scientific evidence on human-induced climate change to help support policymaking. Specifically, you were a lead author on the High Mountain Areas chapter of the 2019 IPCC Special Report on Ocean and Cryosphere in a Changing Climate, uh, as well as a co-lead on the just-released IPCC cross-chapter paper on uh, mountains. 
So uh, with all of that experience, uh, what was unique uh, and important about the chapters that you worked on and what role uh, or what were uh, your roles uh, with them? Um, so what's unique and important about uh, these uh, mountain chapters? Um, first of all, it's important to recognize that uh, these chapters provide a, a very useful platform in which to bring mountain-oriented and mountain-focused content in such a prominent and, and uh, highly influential document such as the IPCC, at least at the global scale. Um, and this hasn't been possible not since the IPCC's last dedicated uh, content on, in, on mountains, uh, which was uh, part of the second assessment report, uh, which was released back in 1996. So there's been quite a considerable gap uh, in terms of relevant changes that are being experienced and seen and reported in the literature. Uh, by, by that, I mean scientific uh, research which uh, needed to be brought um, in, um, in, a, in an updated sense into, into this assessment as well. And what is also important to recognize and, and is unique about these two particular chapters is the integrated approach taken to, to look at mountains as human and biophysical system as well. Um, and to look at the changes that we've observed uh, that arise through a changing climate uh, for instance, the warming temperatures uh, that appear to have a much more um, accelerated uh, signal in, in mountain or elevated uh, regions. And as to your second question about uh, the roles, uh, my role as lead author was to work as part of a team. And it's important to emphasize here the name team, the, 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 the word team, because it's been hundreds and hundreds of lead authors involved in the production of such a report. Um, and it's a very diverse group of individuals, particularly in the chapters that uh, we dealt with for mountains. Um, these were individuals from various countries, as well as scientific uh, disciplinary backgrounds. So working in a highly interdisciplinary and mixed uh, setting um, had, of course, its challenges, but also a, a great, incredible opportunity to engage and grow as a scholar. Um, and also um, uh, for those that are looking to engage more with, with policymakers. And our main task uh, uh, was simply to take stock of the evidence presented in the thousands of published uh, research uh, papers and other reports that have been uh, reporting um, the changes related to, to climate change, but also the responses to those changes and the impacts associated with those and consolidate those findings um, in, in this um, um, uh, reporting it by, by taking a, a global approach to um, those um, findings. And um, it's important to also recognize that the primary audience for these reports have largely been oriented uh, around policymakers and those that are tasked with the undertaking climate negotiations, for example, within the context of the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. Uh, but in, increasingly over the years, we've also seen the relevance of these reports to inform and support uh, more regional um, uh, assessments, uh, but also as a means to um, conduct outreach and engagement with uh, broader society and to be able to engage scientific work um, also as part of that. I'm going to move to uh, Philippus now. So you were the coordinator and lead editor of the 2019 Hindu Kush uh, Himalaya assessment, as well as a contributor to various IPCC assessment activities, including a co-lead of the cross-chapter paper on mountains 
together with Carolina. So uh, I want to focus on the Hindu Kush Himalaya assessment. Why was this assessment so significant and what did your leadership role involve? I think the uh, similar to the Canadian mountain assessment, this was the first time for the Hindu Kush Himalaya that a, you know, an, an assessment was done to, to really figure out what's happening in this region. Now, it was modeled on, based on, inspired by you know, previous IPCC assessments, uh, IPBES assessments, and, and other assessments, but this had never been done on, on a regional mountain scale. Um, so when the assessments started to come together in, in, you know, started actually in 2013-14 and then really picked up steam in 2016, it was really at the request of the eight countries, you know, sharing the Hindu Kush Himalaya, um, the, the, the member countries of Isimod, you know, putting, putting it to us that, you know, you, you do all this great work and all this great research and you publish all this stuff. Um, but could you give us, could you produce a, a go-to book wherein everything, you know, is brought together? And I think the assessment did that. And I think what was significant there was very much it was requested by the region. Uh, it was done for the region. And importantly, the authors, 80% of the 210 authors were drawn from the region. So this gave it a real ownership uh, and this immediately gave it an audience. Uh, and it, it gave it gave a form of science to science regional you know collaboration across borders with you know people from India, Pakistan, China, Afghanistan, Myanmar, you name it. These eight countries all getting together and sharing and, and trying to understand. And you know, there's 240 million people living in the Hindu Kush Himalaya mountain region. Now, mind you, this include this includes low lying areas, right? This is not just everything. You know, right in the mountains, but it's it's a large region, 240 million people, and that's significant. Now, globally, we are looking at 1.3 billion people living in mountain regions. That's what the cross-chapter paper on mountains shows in the, the latest IPCC Working Group 2 report. So these are very significant numbers, but we find the visibility and the recognition is quite low. And I think the Canadian Mountain Assessment is also, you know, pushing or working on getting more visibility and recognition. And, you know, Graham himself is saying, it turns out the, the area of mountain regions in Canada is like 50 times Switzerland. Well, there you go. We all know Switzerland is a mountainous region, right? And Carolina can attest to that, sitting there in Zurich and, and looking at the, at the Alps. But um, who would have thought Canada had that many mountains, right? So I think there's a lot of issues around visibility recognition and, and taking action. So it was significant for those regions. Now, in terms of my role, um, yeah, being the lead editor, being the coordinator, um, what did that involve? Um, it involved, I think, three things. And I think, you know, Graham was already mentioning that. It, it involves humility, um, you know, working with people, um, trying to see where to go, not having a prefixed idea of this is what I want to see, but having, having that, you know, ha holding that space to s to see what will emerge if we put fifty brilliant minds in a room, what will emerge, and trusting that process, and and going with that process, and then when it gets stuck or when it gets messy, or when it gets difficult, to know that this is the way these processes work. 
and you know there's that messy middle where everybody disagrees and that's okay because you need to work through that disagreement to get to that deeper level of, of figuring out so why what why do you disagree or what what is it that you don't like about this or or how how do you feel you are not being heard or you know so so probing deeper to, to figure out are, are we really disagreeing here or or haven't we gone deeply enough into the process to figure out where it is we want to be going. Another question for both of you. Uh, how would you say that your experiences from past mountain focus assessments that we just went over extensively, uh, how have those experiences informed the way you are advising on the Canadian mountain assessments? Uh, what comes to mind is the criteria by which uh, the criteria by which authors have been assessing the evidence that's then consolidated and presented in these reports. The experience that we've had in the IPCC is that uh, those particular protocols and guidelines fulfill a very specific purpose. And in taking into consideration how the uh, Canadian mountain assessment has been conceptualized and, and designed, the experience had with how we've uh, implemented those guidelines to incorporate diversity in terms of evidence assessed um, had its limits. And, and I think uh, one of the key things to, um, uh, that I've been able to voice and also highlight in, in my advice in this particular Canadian context was that a particular attention needs to be given to the, to the guidelines and criteria by which we value and um, uh, characterize certain knowledge uh, or knowledge types as being valuable for the assessment, as, as contributing to the evidence that um, provides a, a rigorous uh, conclusion. So I think that was a, a, an important uh, experience to, to, to convey and um, I'm very pleased to see that uh, also the, the way in which um, the IPCC, for instance, taking a more consensus approach to reaching uh, conclusions uh, perhaps may not be uh, as amenable when you have other contexts that uh, take a, a, a less political approach, but rather take into account different forms of knowledge for, for different framings and different ways of um, articulating the value of mountains uh, beyond what it provides to us. Um, so I think that was um, uh, a key aspect, and uh, which forced us to also think about the, the limits to, to certain ways of um, knowing within the scientific domain. And in itself, it, it has its limits and, and ability to, to really um, portray or, or highlight um, what is important to consider for, for decision making. Yeah, I think I would, I would add to that, Carolina. It's indeed... Um... I think that was also in advising to the Canadian Mountain Assessment to say, yes, there's all this experience, you know, there's the Hindukushian Lion Assessment, there's the IPCC work, uh, but you do have a unique moment uh, to really reflect on how, you know, how to structure this assessment, how to respectfully and, and you know, uh, with humility, uh, you know, engage Indigenous knowledge, Indigenous peoples, and, and try to work that through. Uh, which I think has been done very well in the Canadian Mountain Assessment, although it's still ongoing. But um, um, I, I think what what Carolina was indicating, you know, there's there's certain templates that work for certain contexts, and 
Um, I'm not sure, you know, it's about gold standard. There's different ways of doing assessment with different audiences in mind. And I think, yeah, the, the, you know, in, 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 in having had the privilege to, you know, sit, be, participate in several of these meetings of the International Advisory Committee and also with, with the elders to really reflect on that is, it's, it's a unique journey. And, you know, what, what, what is relevant for Canada, what is, you know, urgent for Canada, what is salient for Canada is, is you know, that will emerge out of the process. So, and I, and I think that, you know, the, the way the assessment has been going forward is, is a testimony to that. So uh, we've gone over quite extensively uh, about past experiences with other mountain assessments and what the, CM, it's, the CMA uh, itself has been doing over the past two years. But uh, I kind of wanted to look or uh, focus on what it looks like going forward. So uh, Graham, the Canadian Mountain Assessment is scheduled to end or, or is scheduled to be completed uh, by October 2023. So over the next year and a half, what activities will you be undertaking with the mountain, the Canadian Mountain Assessment, like between now and that endpoint? As I mentioned earlier in the the conversation, we are now in the section preparation stage. So really, that point in time where we are doing the work of the assessment, and um, we're very excited to now be looking at having uh, two in person events in Banff in May of this year, and. Um, the first of those is what we are calling a learning circle. And this is part of the methodology that has been co-created in this process to invite in indigenous understandings of mountains. They will um, also be events that with permission of participants, we will record and will generate some of that um, uh, embedded content that I mentioned earlier. So recordings of conversations, for example. There'll also be an opportunity for Learning Circle participants to become authors uh, of the assessment if they so choose in recognition of the legitimate role that these knowledge holders and knowledge contributors are playing in the process. And importantly, it will also be an opportunity for us to really emphasize our commitment to supporting Indigenous peoples um, right to to um, carefully check what of their knowledges are included in the final assessment so before anything from learning circles is is shared out publicly there'll be opportunities for those individuals and their communities as appropriate to review uh, what has been shared and to authorize that that can be brought into the assessment uh, in addition to that learning circle we're hosting our first uh, in-person author meeting and flip has really been so uh, so so focused on us doing this, and I'm so glad that we're finally able to do it because I really see uh, and have heard from him the importance of this kind of gathering, and, and I'm really eager to um, to see how this uh, meeting of minds helps to push the project forward in a meaningful way. So we'll also be inviting in authors from across the country, multiple authors from each of the assessment sections to begin doing some of that applied work and building that building those relationships in a deeper way and creating the inertia we need to get this project done in the time that we have available. Um, we, uh, in the um, fall of 2022 through to uh, early 2023, will first put the assessment out for review and then have a period of revisions. And our review process is also unique, I think, for the CMA. So the, uh, part of the multiple evidence-based approach that is the way we conceptualize this work is a commitment to knowledge contributions being assessed 
within the, 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 the knowledge systems from which they emerge. And this gets to the point Carolina was making about guidelines and criteria. And so here we're, we're, we're trying to make space for a variety of people and organizations to be involved in reviewing the assessment, not just the academic community. And so the assessment will go out for a period of review to the academic community, of course, but also to Indigenous individuals, communities, organizations uh, as appropriate. And then we will have a period of, of revisions where we will uh, work to incorporate uh, the suggestions. Uh, here again is an is a opportunity to um, check in on any of the Indigenous contributions that perhaps uh, have been thought of as being appropriate, but perhaps will be identified as something that shouldn't be shared out more broadly and gives us a chance again to make sure that we're not putting things into the world that uh, would not be appropriate to put out. So we look forward to these checks and balances in our process. All right, so yeah, my final question, what would you all say will be the most important impacts of the Canadian Mountain Assessment in terms of advancing the understanding of mountains, uh, in particular, and knowledge assessment activities more broadly? For me, when I think about um, the question you've asked, I guess the some of the key things in terms of impact are really this, uh, this idea of providing clarity about, you know, potentially where we know a lot about certain uh, geographies or topics uh, in relation to mountains in Canada but also where we have some of these really consequential knowledge gaps. And, uh, and re relatedly, um, I think the assessment's gonna help clarify um, what needs to happen in terms of addressing some of these, these key gaps going forward. Uh, I think uh, if I can add something um, to the extensive list of um, impact-oriented areas that we would like to see this assessment fulfill, uh, one of them is around the the next ten years. These are these this is uh, what's often referred to as the decade, a crucial decade of action, um, not just in country in, at the country level, but also globally. So for me, what I'm really looking to to see is the the impact of the Canadian assessment um, within this call for urgent action, and how much of that actually translate translates to very tangible action on the ground and how the political system and the political engagement that's necessary to bring about that action is mobilized and uh, inspired by what this report can also help guide and inform. Um, so this will be uh, a crucial decade to look into and, and let's see how the, the legacy of this report can be sustained uh, beyond its publication date. I think it's important to recognize that such valuable uh, resources and contributions have an opportunity to live beyond the date on which they are published. I, I would say linking to other assessment processes. So I know in, in Canada th there is a national you know, climate change assessment process ongoing. So many countries do this. Uh, interestingly, uh, some countries like Australia have never done a national assessment of climate change, right? Um, so, so there's, there's, there's you know, things that are difficult to understand. But anyway, I think in, in Canada that's ongoing. I think there's a way of, you know, how the contributions of the Canadian Mountain Assessment, how that can be brought into the national processes, both assessment processes, but then also into the policy and, and practice space. And also importantly, and I think Graham was already, you know, pointing to that, is the research agenda. Uh, importantly, a, an assessment tells you what you don't know. 
and what you don't know, your your knowledge gaps, you can then prioritize to see, oh, should you know, what should we be focusing on? What is critically important that we, you know, need to deepen our our knowledge of our, our understanding of. That was Graham McDowell, Carolina Adler, and Philippus Wester, three members of the Canadian Mountain Assessment. Right now, the CMA has largely completed the planning and development stage of the project and is fully in the process of preparing assessment sections, and the assessment will be launched in fall of 2023. That's it for this edition of the Canadian Mountain Podcast in partnership with Mount Royal University. Thank you for listening. This podcast was produced from Treaty 7 Territories a place that holds generations of culture and stories. With the Canadian Mountain Podcast, our goal is to share both Indigenous knowledge and settler perspectives. And we give appreciation to those stories. We are committed to collaborating with Indigenous peoples through storytelling and partnerships. Therefore, we acknowledge the hereditary keepers of these lands. The Nitsitsapi, Iahe Nakoda, Sutina, and Métis peoples. I'm Ethan Ward, and special thanks to show producer Gabrielle Pisca. Be sure to join us again for more stories surrounding mountain places, whether that be in your own backyard or from around the country. Share and subscribe to get the latest updates on the new season, and be sure to tell your mountain-loving friends and colleagues. You can find us wherever you find your podcasts, and you can learn more about the Canadian Mountain Network at canadianmountainnetwork.ca.